0: Well, we're going to be continuing our series, God Among Us. We've been looking at a number of encounters with the Christ. And today we're going to be continuing that series. Next week we will be talking about the birth. But today we're going to be looking at Jesus in the temple. Now, the temple, you have to be aware of what this meant to the people of Israel. This represented the presence of God. This is where the Holy of Holies was, where they would, in fact, encounter God. This was holy ground. And so anything that took place there at the temple was significant, was special. And we're going to be looking at two accounts that took place there in the temple. The first is taking place in John chapter 8. You can turn to John chapter 8 with me. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and someone will get you a Bible. Anyone need a Bible? We got a few. I'm going to talk am t- going to start with John chapter 8 verse 1 to 12. If you're getting the Bible, you can join us around verse 10 or so whenever you get there. And then we'll look at a few other passages today. Chapter 8 verse 1 it says, "Then each went his uh, to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts." where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away I love this story for a number of reasons. It, it, it helps clarify a lot of misconceptions that people have about God. And remember, we talked last week about Jesus, the things he did, the things he said are the things that God does, the thing that God feels. Last week, we looked at the fact that God does feel he understands our pain. He goes through those things. He actually can be hurt. We looked at that in the garden. You know, with the lights that are up here and as you're driving around, maybe you've looked at some of the Christmas lights around town. You know, everyone likes to go and look at the lights. I like to go and look at them rather than put them up. You know, that's kind of the easier way of dealing with that. But, I went to and did a training at this one house, and they had the house was all decked up for Christmas, and I go, "Wow, you guys got a lot of decorations you go, oh yeah family ha- I had family over, you know they came from out of state, and so I had to get everything ready for the family as they were coming, which reminds me i 've got to do some things too still, because we got family coming over, but you know when when you have people coming over, you, you put your best foot forward, you want the house to be clean, you want things to to look nice." Someone's going to come over. You want to make sure that, you know, the underwear aren't on the couch. I mean, the they're clean, okay? They've been washed. You just got to put them away. You know, you want to make sure that things are tidied up around the house. You want to make sure... Okay, that was a picture. Anyway, you want to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward because you've got people coming. Well, What if you knew that God was coming over? Wouldn't you want to just set everything up so that you looked your best? But what if at that time when you were at your worst, when you were at a place that was most humiliating and shameful, that moment of your life where it was just you would not want anyone to see is the moment that you're before God. And and that's what we see taking place in this passage. We see this moment of incredible shame and embarrassment, humiliation for this woman. And she's brought before Jesus. Now, we know, because it says in verse 6, that they did this to test him. And you've got to think about it. What are the odds that they're going to catch someone nearby the temple in the very act of adultery? Oh, it just happens to be the time that Jesus is teaching over there. You know, we just stumbled in there. Oh, what do you know? They're having adultery. Hey, Jesus is right next door. What a coincidence. Let's take over. No, this is a setup. This smells like a setup. And they did this just to trap Jesus. And it makes me wonder, what is it about the human heart that would treat a person with such low regard as to use them just for their own purposes? That would think so little of a human being But they didn't care about her. All they cared about was their agenda. Now, you have to understand, Jesus was stepping on their toes. People were flocking to him. And instead of paying attention and tribute to them, they were paying a tribute to Jesus. Now, he wasn't vying for their attention. He wasn't trying to get that. But they were giving it to him. He was known as the friend of sinners. The tax collectors, the common people, liked this guy because he spoke to them in ways that they could understand. He didn't have this attitude of, I'm better than you, but he had this attitude of, I care about you. And the Pharisees didn't like that. And so they needed to set something to their advantage to trap him, to accuse him and to deal with him in front of the people. And that's exactly what we see taking place here. But we need to understand, just as the reason I love this passage is because it it puts God in the light of being the one who is compassionate. And it puts people as the ones who are condemning. And so many times we think of it opposite god is out to get you he's out to judge you he's gonna let you know and here's here's all the things that you're doing wrong and he's making a list and checking it twice and you know you know the rest he's out to get you to condemn you but that's not what we see here in fact what we see here is that when we condemn others we are least like god When we condemn others, we are least like God. And it's easy to look at this story and say, yeah, that was wrong. That's terrible. But have you ever used someone for your benefit? Have you ever belittled someone so that you can look better or maybe get a promotion? took advantage of a situation just for your gratification in a relationship treated someone like an object you see that that's one of our traits that's not one of god's traits and here as they're being brought into this place this opportunity gets before them you have those who are judging someone who is without doubt guilty but on the other hand, you have Jesus who's bringing compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and an opportunity for a new beginning. What's amazing about us and how we think about God is we are blind to our own attitudes, but totally accusing towards other people. You know, a popular verse that you know, I'm sure, John 3.16. Well, the verses after that are very illuminating as well because in verse 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But verse 17 goes on to say that for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now how is it that God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but His church is so often known for condemning people? He didn't come to condemn. The only one who really had the ability to condemn and judge didn't. But we are so quick to judge. And the church is known for being quick to judge and to condemn. Religions overall. Verse 18 of John chapter three goes on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We live under a cloud of condemnation. This whole world does. And instead of condemning, what we need to do is be illuminating. Illuminating who God is automatically reveals who we are. And then we have hope to offer them. A lot of people want to bring about, we need to prove to you how guilty you are. You know what? Most people know they're guilty. And the ones who don't, well... Jesus said, I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. I remember talking to this man. It was in Wales one time. And he said to me, point blank, I don't know why Jesus died for sinners. I'm not a sinner. I've never sinned. He actually said that to me, you know, and you're just thinking, you're a liar. You know, I mean, I. But he said, no, I've never sinned. You know what? well, then Jesus didn't die for you. But the day may come when you do sin. Maybe if you live old and long enough, and he's already up there in age, but the day may come where you do sin. And on that day, well, then Jesus died for you. Because that's who he died for. And you see, so many times we're trying to convince people that they're sinners. Go to the ones who know. And convince them that there is a God who cares and loves and does not condemn. Just shine the light on who God is. It will illuminate who they are and the need that is there in their lives. So many times you would think that the individuals like these Pharisees who are closest to God, who knew the scriptures, who are supposed to represent God to the world, If they would have caught a woman in adultery, they would say, hey, you know what? Jesus, the Son of God, is just here at the temple. Let's take her over there and see if he can help her out. See if he can restore her. See if he can get her on the right track. Let's see if he can do something that will benefit her. But that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is taking her, using her as an object. Not caring about her humiliation, her shame. Not caring about her at all. And when we take on that attitude, we do not represent God. Some years ago in 2005, I believe it was, here in Ontario, there was a Christian school that kicked out a 14-year-old girl because her parents were lesbians. And there was some prominent pastors who spoke up and said, this was the right thing to do, and I'm glad they did it, and they have no right telling this school what they need to do. And, and you know, on, on one hand, I agree that the state has no business telling any business what it's supposed to do. But on the other hand, I, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, here is an opportunity of a lifetime to reveal how great God is to a 14-year-old girl who's in a place that's confusing and wrong. Here is an opportunity to minister to her, and they brought her to you. And what are you doing? You're casting her out. In Psalm 63, verse 1, It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. This is David crying out. This isn't a crying out to a God he's afraid is going to condemn him or judge him, David, who was an adulterer, David, who was a murderer, he cries out and he says, your love is better than life. This is a romance with God. And you see, there was the opportunity to tell this girl that there is a love that is not only better than any lifestyle, it is better than life itself. There is a God who will give you something that is better than anything this world can offer you that nothing compares to what God has to offer. But they cast her out. These religious leaders must have thought they were bringing this woman to her death. And no doubt she thought her life was ending in shame and just total humiliation. And so when they asked Jesus, the law says to stone her, what do you say? Well, the law says to be put to death, but the, the law also said for the man and woman. Which leaves the question, where's the guy? They caught them. Surely he was there. Because as far as I know, adultery still takes two people even back then. Maybe he was wearing a robe. Maybe he's holding one of the rocks. You see, this wasn't about doing what is right or justice or their diligence against adultery. Otherwise, the guy would have been there. This was for other reasons, other purposes. And so they asked Jesus. Law says this, what do you say? And this is incredible. He says nothing. I'm always quick to say. If someone asks me something, I'm quick to yeah, I'll I'll say something. (laughs) Not always good. Jesus didn't respond. He just stooped over and started writing in the ground. And I know your mind automatically goes, what did he write? What did he write? And then they kept pressing him. Hey, he's not answering us. Hey, come on. What do you say? And he stands up and he says, that you, who's without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And then he goes back down to writing. And as I was thinking about this, I was wondering, you know, maybe... The reason we don't know what he wrote and it's not published somewhere is because really what he was doing is allowing the spirit to deal with their conscience and that's what he wants to happen to us. Instead of speculating, well, maybe he wrote this, maybe he wrote their sins, maybe he did this, maybe the silence is the opportunity to think about what he just said without sin you go ahead and cast the first stone you know if that 14 year old girl parents were adulterers she would have been left in the school you know if they're greedy or covetous yeah that's okay I guess but this didn't. no we're going to put a stop to this and we do things based on pressure Instead of looking as opportunity. Do I think homosexuality is a sin? Yeah. So is adultery. Was this woman a sinner? Yeah. But instead of thinking we need to protect ourselves, watch out you guys, the sinners are coming to get us. We have the love and power of god that changes lives that is able to speak into people's lives who are caught up in the midst of these things and illuminate the darkness so they can see where they're at and change by the power and grace of god and instead of being on guard we need to be on offense i often hear people say you know Missionaries in different places, you know, it's real hard ground over here. Yeah, it's really hard ground. Really? How hard was the ground for the disciples? They were trying to kill them. It was hard ground. And we talked about this last week or Wednesday in Acts chapter 4, how they didn't pray, Lord, give us a lighter load. They prayed, Lord, give us a stronger back. Lord, don't take this burden of this oppression, but help us to see through it. And where is the church that wants to see through and have victory in Jesus' name instead of put up the guards and build walls so that we're protected? There's nothing in this world that we can protect ourselves against. We are in this world. We're not of this world. In the world, you will have tribulation. Has anyone experienced that yet? Can I get a hand? Amen. Yeah, we've all experienced that. That's how it is. But we are not stuck. We are not burdened. We have a hope that is stronger than death itself. We have the love of God that is better than life, that changes life, that changes those who are condemned already. We need to take that message to them and not be afraid. And as he writes on the ground, and again, the conviction comes upon them, we see that as they leave, and she's there just with Jesus, and what an incredible thing must have been taking place as she's thinking, here's my last moment. I'm going to die and utter, utter shame. And, and finding out that there's silence. And then to hear hey, the rocks just dropping, that and, and everyone leaving, And her realizing in that silence, I'm not going to die. And we find out that the only safe place for a sinner to be is in the presence of Jesus. Because they're going to condemn you. He will not. But he will change you. And he tells her, where are those who can use? It? Did anyone condemn you? She says, no. He says, neither do I condemn you. Think about who is saying this. What is the whole purpose? This is God with us. God said, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And immediately after that, he speaks out and he says, let me find it. After he says, I don't condemn you, he says, go and leave your life. He says, when Jesus spoke again in verse 12 to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, now that's directly connected to what we just read in John chapter 3. In verse 19, where he says, this is the verdict, Life has light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You see, he illuminates the situation. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't live in darkness. And the world is in darkness. Do you remember your first lie? Probably not. But I can tell you this, that your first lie was not your first sin. Your first lie was to cover up your first sin. And you see, it was probably something, you know, really serious at the age of three. Like, did you eat that cookie? And at three, you don't realize there's chocolate chips all over your face. And you say, no. No. And you're the only one in the house. And you see, what we do is we lie to cover up the sin. And it just leads to more darkness. And really what takes place is the person who lies is covering up the darkness that their life is living in. When we lie, it, it's just to hide the darkness. And we, we hide it from others. We hide it from ourselves. And we try and hide it from God. And, and we're not exempt from this, are we, as Christians? I know you guys coming in here, some of you have had some pretty rough weeks and have maybe said some things on the way here to your husband or wife that you shouldn't have or your kids. I know that. (laughs) I've been there. You, you live and you just go, oh, I gotta go to church. Okay. Bing. I'm okay now. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. You know, and you just have this life and no, that's, we need it still and we still do the same thing. We lie to cover up the darkness that we live in and we don't realize that, you know what? God knows. And going to God instead of running away from Him is what we need. And it's our tendency whenever something happens that's, you know, we're guilty of, we want to run away. But we need to run to God, not away from God. And if there's something going on in your life, don't run away. The only safe place to be is in the presence of Jesus. That's where the light can expel the darkness that's in your life and deal with it and move you forward in that way. I want to look at one other instance. And it's in Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 through 13, if you can turn there with me. Another instance of Jesus in the temple. Matthew 21, verse 6 through 13. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds... They went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. In Galilee, man, I don't know what's going on here today. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the branches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Here's another instance where Jesus goes to the temple. Now, wouldn't you think that the temple would be where Jesus felt at home? Wouldn't you think this would be the perfect this is like the spiritual lazy boy you know you go there God in the temple I just ah yeah this is where I belong but Jesus goes there and we see him mad as fire and and what's interesting is you might think from the last instance of Jesus with the woman who has gotten adultery well he didn't get mad at her And, and we know from the cross that he stood or when he was on the cross he said forgive them Father, they don't know what they're doing to those who stood there. And we might think, well, Jesus just doesn't get mad ever. And if he had a right to get mad, it must have been one of those instances. But it's not there that he's upset. It's here. And why is he getting so upset? Well, he quotes a passage from Isaiah. It's Isaiah Chapter 56, you can read along here. It starts, it says, Let no foreigner who is bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose and pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial, And a name better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners, there it is again, who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 7, and it's referring to the foreigners. Now we know as they were in the temple, they had made this a money scheme. You had to give your money to get their special money that was sacred to buy those animals that could sacrifice and they were making a huge profit. this had become something that was just about the money. And what Jesus is upset about is when people make hurdles to the way of God. When people make obstacles to someone getting to God, it ticks him off. And he is furious because to get to God you have to buy this at a profit and then you have to use this at a profit and it makes it difficult to worship God. And that made him so upset that he wrecked the place. Because the foreigners were to come to this outer court to be able to pray to the living God, to be able to have accents, access to God because his house was to be a house of prayer for all nations, were hindered because of the religious people saying, you have to do it this way and we're going to make a profit at it. And so we see what upsets Jesus What upsets God is when people make it difficult to get to him, to worship him. That challenges us. Are we putting obstacles before people to get them to come to the Lord? Do we have requirements? You have to join our church. You have to do certain things in order for you to be accepted. Well, when God walked among us, he didn't condemn. He came to be the light. What are we? What are we doing? In second Chronicles chapter six, verse thirty two, when the temple was dedicated, it says there it is. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this temple, then hear him from heaven, your dwelling place, and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all people of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Once again, we see what was meant to take place was this was to be a magnet to the nations where they would pray and God would answer. And they would see that there is a living God, but it had stopped being that. They had missed the mark. The nation of Israel never fulfilled their calling. Jesus did. And He's given us the commission as His body to continue that. God answered the prayer of the stranger, the foreigner. When's the last time you prayed that? Lord, answer the prayer of that person who's not believing Well, I don't want them to get prayers answered, because who knows what they're praying for. I remember a story when my brother became a Christian. I can tell stories about my brother, he's not here. He had a hundred dollars. And he lost it. And this was back a while ago when $100 was worth $100. And he was going crazy because he wanted to buy some drugs with this money. I guess it's okay if I tell this story. Too late now, huh? <laughs> and so he started freaking out because 100 bucks, he lost it. And we'd been sharing with him and talking to him, and so he prayed. He said, God, if you help me to find that hundred bucks, I'll believe in you. I'll believe in you. Bammo. There it is, sitting on the table. Oh man! Takes it, goes and buys drugs. You think, God, don't do that. Well, my brother is now a pastor. At a church. He he knows the Lord. Now, I don't know all the dots that led from that answered prayer to where he's at now. But you see, God isn't no, it's gotta be just the right prayer. God wants to make himself known. He wants to illuminate the situation. So that people will see him and it will reveal their own need, their own depravity, their own sinfulness that is in each of us. But unless we run to the light, to the God who cares, to the God who does not condemn, to the God who is inviting people, who is including everybody and not excluding anyone. Well, we can't invite them because, you know, they have this problem with their life. We can't invite them to our church because they're involved with this sin. They use drugs. Oh, they're involved with homosexuality. Oh, that's an adulterer. That person's there. We can't invite them. God wants to change them. God doesn't want to leave them in that circumstance. He wants to change them, but he wants to include them into his family. And if we are going to exclude them, I have a feeling that Jesus would take these chairs and overturn them. And he'd say the same thing. What do you think you are doing? I am trying to draw this person who is captured and is in bondage and is dying. And I want them here. If they can't come here, where can they go? Where will they go? If they are not allowed here, they have no place. You are my representatives. And if you will not bring them here and show them my love, that I don't condemn them, that I want to change them and set them free, that I have a love that is better than life itself. There is nothing that they are holding on to that they would want to hold on to if they just knew who I was. Are we putting up hurdles? Are we saying, yeah, but, you know, if you come in, it's going to make us all really uncomfortable. God is desiring to include people to answer their prayers so that they can see he's the truth, so he can illuminate their lives, to see the darkness that they're living in, so that he can change them. And he's inviting us to be a part of it. When Jesus was in the temple, when God was among us, he did not condemn, but he got angry with people who stopped people from coming to the knowledge of who he was. This is the heart of God displayed through the person of Jesus when he was in the temple. May it be our heart as well. Let's pray. Wow, God, I get kind of worked up. Um, But I know that there is no ground too hard for you There is no community beyond your reach. There is no person that you do not want to bring into your family. And forgive us for not understanding that. Forgive us for being on the side of those who condemn and judge and not standing with you who had every right to condemn but didn't. Lord, help us not to put obstacles in the way of people coming to you. Help us to see that you are opening your arms to include everybody and exclude no one. But Lord, it's our choice. It's their choice. Our job is not to condemn our job is to point to you. To let people know you can run to Jesus. It's safe with Him. You can let God know the darkest things in your life. The most shameful things in your life. That's where you need to go. Because he is the only one who can forgive you, who can change you, who can restore you. God, may we take that message and own it as our own. I pray this morning, if you have been perhaps one of the people who has run away from God instead of running to him because you're worried about judgment and condemnation, I pray this morning that you would look at Jesus in the light of who he really is and you would recognize that that's where you need to go. That's who cares. That's who loves you and that's who can change you. Father, I do pray that our hearts be open to you and the work you desire to do in our lives. That we'd recognize you don't condemn us. And that we would leave our lives of sin for the God who loves us and is better than life itself. Thank you, God, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.